Hello, Universe Jumpers, and welcome to another episode of Stories from Other Timelines. I'm your host, Ali York, and today we have an assortment of entertainment orchestrated for your listening pleasure. There will be poetry, music, and interviews with movie directors, drag queens, and other artists. Enjoy today's easy listening as we celebrate this timeline's 50th anniversary of a beloved national holiday. The question is, what would our cultural landscape look like, and sound like, if we had an annual purge? If you're listening with children, please know that this episode does contain violent imagery, expletives, and drug references. Welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, Tatum Mott, and it's that time of year again. Happy Reckoning Day. Please make sure you have enough sunblock, water, and Kevlar this year because it will be a scorcher. As studies have shown, reckoning deaths do rise with the temperature from situations like dehydration, lack of fire control, and mere escalated agitation of passerby. Just something to keep in mind as you plan your activities around the holiday this year. Aside from that, this is a special year because tomorrow we are celebrating the country's 50th reckoning. To celebrate this monumental success, we're going to remind our listeners about the history of this legendary day. But don't touch that dial or screen or however you're listening, because afterwards we're going to interview some of your favorite artists from Violet Bight to Louis Enzo, and to get the insider scoop on how your favorite movies, music, and performances were created. Now, without further ado, a brief history of The Reckoning. The Reckoning, endearingly known as Reckoning Day, began 50 years ago on July 2nd of 1970. This beloved national ritual was created out of the civil, social, and political unrest stirring up in the 1960s. The seemingly endless Vietnam War, protests that were devolving into violent uprisings, assassinations, papers filled with headlines about serial killers, the rage over the pursuit of racial equality, women's rights, and the LGBTQ rights that had brought the melting pot of America to a furious boil. In 1968, Richard Nixon was elected into office and promised to address the 156% rate increase in crime and promised to bring the divided nation together. The way he decided to do this was to introduce one day of legal illegalities. Nixon thought was that it was a part of the human condition to falter on controlling our impulses. Anger, rage, rebellion, these are things that we all have in common. Nixon was known to have used Freud's research of the tripartite, id, ego, and superego to explain his reasoning. Like the failure of the prohibition to bar people from alcohol, barring people from their natural inclination towards violence would force the violence to continue to seep out into everyday life. Nixon surmised that having one day to celebrate the wickedness that lied in all of us was something that would ultimately unite us. 
The motion passed December 12, 1969, as the country was brought to an emotional swell. The date was set for July 2nd, two days before our Independence Day. This date was purposeful to further cement the feeling of unity that Nixon was trying to convey. And with that, the reckoning was born. The Nixon administration created a new department to provide tens of thousands of jobs to rebuild after the day of extreme property damage and infrastructural damage. What we all know now as Reclaim, Reckoning, Cleanup, and Livelihood Management. This department is essential. It promotes growth and reconstruction after we've purged out all of our energy and aggression. From the physical growth that our country's laborers are tasked with to the emotional growth to support our citizens, we can give Reclaim a majority of the credit to the nation's reckoning rejuvenation. 50 years and going strong. A big thanks to all of our hardworking Reclaim employees. Thank you for everything you do for us. Now the moment you've all been waiting for. A lot of our favorite media and art has been inspired by this holiday. And in this next segment, we're going to sit down with artists to talk about their inspirations. From reimagined carols from the day of old to Foco's pop, Houston Overstreet has created some of the most beloved tunes of our time. I know Ballad of the Marches isn't just one of my karaoke go-tos. VIX News reported that Ballad of the Marches is the number one requested karaoke song in the United States, followed closely by Expeditions Won't Stop Believin'. In a new, sharp turn from karaoke, Houston recently collaborated his music with a famous performance artist that went viral. 49-year-old Bernanda Hollins sits atop a white steed at Sunset and North Coronado Street in Silver Lake, Los Angeles, with Houston Overstreet saddled up behind her, bare-ass naked. Houston sings as Bernanda has the horse charge down Sunset Boulevard, where she in Night's Tale style simulates the gratification from different illegal activities. This includes shooting a fiery arrow into a playhouse on the side of the street, setting fireworks ablaze in the sky, stopping the horse to run up a spiral staircase leading to a shimmering sword, where she jumps off and appears to float down angelically back to her horse. And the piece de resistance, using the sword she acquired from the obstacle course of indulgent lawlessness, to jump off of the horse towards a giant wooden statue of a man, stab him in the heart with the sword, and releasing a stream of brightly colored butterflies. We're going to speak with Houston about his desire in participating in this extraordinary performance. Hello, Houston. Thank you for joining us. Well, good morning, ma'am. How are you? Very well. How about yourself? Oh, I'm doing just fine. I just had myself a nice popping hot breakfast and a big cup of coffee, and I am rip-roaring ready to go. Let's talk about it. <laughs> so first, how did you get involved with this project? Had you known Bernarda prior to the project, or did she seek you out? Well, How did you two come together on this? 
Well, it is a funny story. If you got a moment, I, um, I, it's a chance encounter, really, when you think about it. Um, so I was at the local Grange Club, and they were uh, putting up a, a trip to Paris. And, uh, you know, I said, what the heck? I've never been. Let's go to Paris. So, you know, we went to Paris uh, with me and the Grange Club, and we, we went to the Louvre. And uh, there was this big performance art thing going on. It's just weird, you know? It's just like... I've never seen anything like it. It was it, this. This one was just this particular woman was sitting in a chair in the middle of a room, and there was another chair across from her. And you could go up and you would just sit in front of her, and she would just stare at you. She like uh, uh, she wasn't supposed to react or nothing. And she had been there for days, for four days. She had been there in that chair. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm never coming back to Paris again. That's once is enough for me. Thank you. But so I was like, you know what? I'm going to sit in that chair. Like, why not? And I, I sat in that chair and she just started talking to me. I was the first person that she had actually talked to in four days. That was Bernarda Hollins. And uh, she just would not, honestly, she would not stop talking and uh, uh, I had to tell her, I had to say, excuse me, ma'am, but uh, I have to go use a, use a restroom or else I'm going to have an accident here in this chair in the Louvre. And I don't want to be that kind of guy. And I had to excuse myself. Um, but uh, we did, uh, you know, become Facebook friends after that. And uh, that's how we got in touch. And, uh, you know, we finally found a project that we could work on together. And I'll tell you, it's been life changing. It's fascinating. And did you collaborate on the music or did she give you mostly creative freedom? Well, I, you know, I'll tell you what, she, uh, she was more my muse than anything else. She uh, just inspired me. Uh, you know, she made me you know, want to take myself seriously um, and, uh, you know, just be a better person in general. And, and, you know, you always put out the best work when you're your best self. Am I right? Oh, most certainly. And you can definitely hear the difference in this piece. Now, I know you've done Reckoning songs like your hit Most Wonderful Time of the Year remix. Mm -hmm. Would you say that the Reckoning has played a big influence in your creative process? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I you know, it's, it is my favorite day of the year. Some people like Christmas, but, you know, this is my favorite day of the year. You can go, you know, out and you can just, you know, indulge yourself and it's nice. Um, and, uh, you know, even if my earlier work it referenced the reckoning, it was always my favorite, you know, but, you know, the, the subjects change, you know, you grow up. I was just a kid back then. I was like you know, 19, 20 years old. And, you know, I, you know, I write songs about taking mushrooms and going fishing. You know, we didn't do anything like crazy on a reckoning day. We would just do, do some drugs and go catch some fish, you know, you know I, I, just kid stuff. I, you know, I've read songs about that, and it wasn't until, you know, really Bernarda came along where, you know, she, she made me take myself seriously, and uh, I don't think I would have, you know, put pen to paper, so to speak, uh, like this if it weren't for her. Now, I'm sure you guys practiced before performing this piece in front of a live audience. How was that? Oh, I mean, that, that was, uh, that was very intimate, Um and I don't mean that in a sexual way. I just mean that, in, you know, it was very professional. Um, I just want to say that, you know, because, you know, with, you know, your, with your, you know, your penis hanging out, you know, things get awkward. And, uh, you know, we just had to, you know, be professional about it. So, um, 
but I, you know, I will say that I love Bernarda, but not in that you know like romantical kind of kind of sense, but more in like a long lost kindred spirit, older sister type of type of way, where you know she's just guiding you through life and like helping you make the best choices for yourself. Um, and that's that's what she she did here. And uh, honestly, I don't even think I would have had the confidence to pull this off. But before meeting Bernarda, I had some some self-esteem issues growing up and chubby kid, chubby guy, you know, um, and she, uh, she made me feel good. She's, uh, uh, she's, she said, I'm what the gay community would refer to as a bear. And, uh, you know, I, I looked it up and she's right. You know, she's right. And, uh, it made me feel real good about myself. It made me feel like a handsome man. And, uh, I had the body confidence to go ahead and ride that horse with no pants on. Now, this certainly is a different avenue from the work you've previously done. What prompted this change, or do you think it will be a one-time thing? Well, no, I, you know, I certainly hope it's not going to be a one-time thing. Like, I, I don't know that Bernarda and I will have an opportunity to work together uh, in the future, but I sure hope so. Uh, I mean, she's just got a vision that uh, I, I don't. She's got an eye for flair, so to speak. Uh, I mean, like, you saw the video, like, think about it, you know, where I, I'm on a horse, no pants on, she's in front of me shooting fire aerials into the, the side of the buildings on the streets, setting fireworks off, still me, no pants on, riding that horse, boy, I never thought of that, so, oh. yeah, I really hope we get to work together again, and uh, I hope uh, this, this, uh, string of good luck continues well i know i'll absolutely be uh online to to watch that as soon as it does come out and thank you so much for being on the show today we certainly appreciate it oh it's my pleasure ma'am thank you for having me do you use your reckoning day to attend the biggest party of the year the Brooklyn Sank House, a sanctuary warehouse party, is well known for its over-the-top opulence and high-caliber musical guests. Party favors here have included gorgeously packaged vials of cocaine, artisanal tins of molly, and Swarovski crystal-encrusted mason jars of marijuana. Musical guests have performed here, including DJ Khalid, Kesha, Cardi B, and today's guest. Every Reckoning Day, she drops her newest album, and they ultimately become the most listened to album of The Reckoning. Topping the charts every Reckoning Day with three platinum albums and her newest hit, Ravage, she is the most popular artist to jam to during this national holiday. Joining us today is Violet Biden. How did you become such an icon for The Reckoning? Well, first of all, I'm flattered. Thank you. Um, I don't know if I'd say I'm an icon, maybe a legend, but like I, I'm just all about rebellion. And what is the reckoning if not rebellion? I mean, like, like it's it's all about just like getting into that headspace of like, what do I need deep down inside? And then, you know, committing those atrocities and like just freeing yourself to be a better person. Like, like it is. It is the most rebellious thing you can do. And I'm so glad that the government came up with that for us. Like, I just think that was a stroke of genius. And, and now we all we all could just be ourselves because of it. And 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 I just found that so 
healthy and and I wanted to be a part of that. Oh, absolutely. It's so natural and passionate, just like your music. It's no wonder that you're such a fan favorite at the Sank House. What do you like about performing there? Oh, my goodness. The Sank House. It is so much fun. It's like the reckoning like just flips the script for a day, you know, like we're all the same. There's no class. There's no structure. I'm not rich. You're not poor. We're all just one. And like I'm behind that barrier and just like singing my heart out. And, and then like, it just, it just charges us all up. Like, it's like feeding the energy of all of our souls, just like coming together and getting pumped to like pillage and murder. It's, it's so refreshing. I, I, just, I love that place. Like, like the bartender, Reggie, like, oh, great guy. Oh, He's never tried to kill me once. He's absolutely. Just a sweetheart. Absolutely. No. And that's, incredible. And you can hear that in, in what you create. Uh, but what, what is the inspiration behind your music? Oh, behind my music? Oh, gosh. <sighs> Put me on the spot here. Uh, I mean, like, well, I, okay. I like to think that I make music for the child in all of us. Like, do you remember being told no as a child? Oh, absolutely. And that's a horrible feeling, right? Uh, mm -hmm. And my music is the music of yes. My music brings out the yes in all of us. Like that one song that I have, um, I, I don't know if I can say it on the radio, but um, Raw Dog Me in the Bathroom Stall, like that song is about freedom, you know? Just like, just like finding that freedom deep within yourself. And that's just like really what my music speaks to is like find the freedom in you. Well, speaking of surprises, I heard that you have one for our listeners today. Oh, well, yes. As a treat for all my fans, not my haters, I was going to play a little excerpt from my new album, which drops tomorrow on Reckoning Day. I'll be playing Sank House again this year. So come check it out and you can hear the full version and all the songs off the new album. So go check it out live. Download it wherever you get your music. Let's ravage. Are you ready? Jump in my ride Everything is possible And we're too young to die Pick a crime, time to shot Cause it's only one night So let's ravage Oh my gosh, it's a day of reckoning All the bitches beckoning Murder all our haters And have unprotected sex again Got tequila Mexican Eat the rich T-Rexican Everything is legal I'm an eagle proud American I love it. Oh, thank you for being on today's show, Violet. And thank you for giving us a sneak peek into your new album, Beats to Ravage. You are an absolute babe. Commit some crimes. On the note of opulence, you may know our next guest from recent headlines about her escape and subsequent resurgence from the dark side of the entertainment industry. Formerly known as Candace Work, 
internationally acclaimed drag queen Renaissance has spoken up about the abuse and mishandling of her life as a superstar. Her father had kept a tight fist of control over everything she says, eats, wears, and to some degree even thinks. During the last reckoning, she took matters into her own hands and gathered the courage to murder her controlling and abusive father instead of wait to see what the court hearings would be on her freedom. We are very lucky to have her on the show today and explain her reasoning, as well as see how she has adjusted to her newly invigorated life. Welcome to the show, Renaissance, and thank you for your courage in speaking with us about your experience. Thank you so much for having me. You don't know how long I've waited to tell this story. First, I, I want to dive into what the last straw was. What brought you to the decision to take your father's life instead of continuing to pursue the lawsuit you filed against him? I think, I think what's really important for everybody to know right off the bat is that my father took my life and it took a lot of courage to decide that he could not take any more of my life. So, you know, there are so many things that people don't know on about the inside. So that's what I want everyone to know first and foremost. I can't imagine. I, I can't imagine the situation that this has put you in. How long had you been planning it? Do you think he had any suspicions? You know, there wasn't really an instance that, you know, made me decide. It was mostly, you know, I he controlled every aspect of my social media and information that I got from the outside world. And I just, when I learned that we were having the reckoning, I figured this might be my only opportunity to, to break free from this. And um, I, I really don't think he saw it coming. Do you think that this is another example of how the reckoning plays an integral part in the way our society functions? I think the reckoning can be a source of good to right the wrongs that have been committed. Then um, it can be a good opportunity to see the truth. Thank you for sharing. And the media certainly has honed in on this brief passage of your story. And I appreciate you continuing to speak up about the hardships that you face. But I want to move past the tragic part of your story, because it's no small thing that you've completely reinvented yourself and have been flourishing ever since. What is Renaissance aesthetic? How is she different than your former persona? How have things been going for you? And, and has your community supported you? Um, what's been really challenging is that through a lot of this, the community that I thought would be behind me. Um, I'm sorry. 
Um, Take your time. They're they're not really. They haven't been the most supportive. Um, but I have to let that go because you know, as you put it, the new Renaissance me. My aesthetic is just the freedom to do as I choose and the freedom to be myself. And she's different from my former persona because she is in control this time. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here with us today. We admire your courage, and we have a few fan call-ins who wanted to show you some love. I am an enormous fan, the biggest fan, and I think everybody should be absolutely in love with her. I know I am, and I, I really hope that she hears this, and I want her to know that I, for one, absolutely stand by her. I mean, what is the reckoning for if not to do what you have to do? I mean, you know, I... I think that no one understands the scrutiny that she's under or the situation she was in. I'm just calling to let you know that I love you. I love you. Love you. Love you. Love you. I'm just calling you to say, I love you, Renaissance. Thank you so much for being you. Your courage and your story have made an impact on my life. I was finally able to leave my abusive relationship of five years because you really helped me and gave me the strength to do so. Thank you so much. So much, girl. Work it. I love you. Because of what you see. And sometimes I don't see it in myself. It makes me feel wonderful. I mean, you know, we can't, we aren't in her shoes. So who are we to judge her? And I hope that she knows that she's loved by millions of people and that she's keeping her head above water and that she's feeling supported. And I don't, I don't know. That's, I, I just hope that she understands that she still has people in her corner. Thank you, everyone. It it really means it means the world to me to know that you're all out there supporting me through this new transition in my life. And just remember to always be yourself. I love you. Renaissance. That was Renaissance. Learn more about her upcoming events on her website. We're going to take a short break, and when we return, we'll have conversations from some of your favorite people in cinema, as well as some distinguished poets. We're so glad you could come. This is one of our favorite spots. Yes, we sort of found it together, you might say, and we come here quite often. Reckon It Was Meant To Be is a double high scheme gone awry that ends in a fortuitous class of passion. This 70s romance starring Marlon Brando and Olivia Newton-John centers around Sil and Reyna, each vying to claim the star of Russia, a Russian jadeite encircled by flawless Russian emerald and alexandrite at the Fields Museum in Chicago. During their casing of the museum leading up to Reckoning Day, our protagonists unknowingly cross paths multiple times we see them separately scheming for a majority of the film, diving into each other's tragic lives until kismet. So begins the rush to outdo one another in claiming this artifact. Who will win? 
Or will they uncover a greater treasure, one they had both given up on long ago? This classic romance has been hailed by many, and here to talk to us today is critically acclaimed director and writer for the movie, Louis Enzo. Thanks for sitting down with me, Mr. Enzo. Please, call me Louis. Mr. Enzo is my father. <laughs> All right, Louis. First off, I want to say that I am a huge fan of your work. Covered in Midnight and Registrar were masterpieces. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you very much. Well, I wanted to speak with you today about your movie, influenced by the upcoming holiday, Reckon It Was Meant to Be. Now, where did you pull your inspiration from? I, I feel like to many people, this holiday does not mean love. But to me, it, it is the truest expression of love. I exist because of this holiday. See, my, my parents were immigrants from Italy, and they did not know each other when they arrived. And much like the people in this film, they met because of the reckoning. They... <laughs> They decided that they were going to have some reckless fun independently. And they got into some, uh, a bit of a sticky situation that involved some molasses and a chicken farm, as far as my father tells it. And I don't really know the details because I don't want to know the details. Does anyone want to know the details about their parents in that way? I don't think so. But you, you understand, this, this holiday means everything to me because without it, I would not exist. Oh, just like the holiday, it sounds like it's a passionate story. Oh. I completely agree. It's all about passion. It's all about finding what makes you drive forward. Now, it's had a resurgence since Netflix has added it to their library, and it seems to have attracted the eyes of many younger viewers. Why do you think this movie's made such an impression on them? My film taps into something that everyone knows. Deep inside themselves, they all feel this. It does not matter if they are adults or even children. I built my stories to attach to desires, something everyone has. Reckon It Was Meant to Be is probably one of the best examples of that. Love, desire, envy, excitement, rage, all of these are in the movie. And they appeal to young people because they are experiencing those emotions probably more deeply than a crotchety old man like me. They want to know that there, is, that there is people out there feeling what they are feeling. I must think that that is why it is seeing such an explosion of new viewership. Oh, certainly it's something that is bringing us all together. Absolutely beautiful. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, especially from some of these works of mine that have been around for so long. I, I just It's good to know that people can still appreciate an old artist's work. <laughs> well, I don't want to keep you for too long. I know that you're on site shooting your newest film and prepping the set for the holiday. Now, you have a knack for bringing in a more enchanting side of the human experience in your films, from the romance on Reckoning Day to the compassion and growth from Registrar. Do your films seek to create a fantasy world where this is possible? Or do you think your movies exhibit a view of the world that we forget to look for? What a fabulous question. It's... it's... I think people forget, and I'm stealing an old quote here, 
nothing in fantasy is as strange as the world around us. Everything that I draw from, I like to think that even though I'm writing a story, it's possible that it would have happened somewhere, that someone in real life would have truly experienced in this. I like to think that I'm not writing a story, but telling one, telling one of real people, showing the world something that was hidden from them, that was real, that existed despite the fact that they think it might have been fantasy. I don't like to even think that it's about a world we forgot either, but at a world that we know is there, but we have trouble reaching out to grab a world that we want to exist. Does, does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. I think it gets to the heart of how we all feel about this. It's oh, thank you for speaking with us today. Lewis. <laughs> is there anything else that you'd like to say to our audience? Oh, well, so many things, but if I have to stick to one thing, I think I would have to tell them, follow your path, push forward. Whether you decide you want to be a plumber, a builder, an artist, a singer, a movie maker, keep pushing forward. If you keep going, you will find a path. You will figure out how to obtain what you're looking for. Do not let anyone tell you that you should not be doing what you are doing. Do not let any obstacle force you away from your dreams. And most of all, keep going to see my movies. I need you to keep going to see my movies. If you don't, I, I won't know what to do with myself. I will, I will disappear into the background. So keep existing. Keep pushing forward. Keep living. Keep loving. Keep living the best life you can. It's the only thing that any of us can do. And it's the best wish anyone can give to you. Even though it's going to be a hot one this reckoning day, at least it won't be raining. That's what Joe Collins, played by comedy actor Phil Thompson, thought in the newest dark comedy that dropped into theaters last month. At Least It's Not Raining is a story about the untimely death of Joe's wife. We open to a downpour on July 2nd with the camera slowly zooming into the windowpane of Joe in dampened spirits, literally and figuratively. After his umbrella is torn up by the storm, he goes on a quest of petty theft and break-ins, encountering a myriad of opponents that continue to bar his quest of a dry walk to his wife's funeral. This hilarious slapstick comedy, rooted in otherwise morose plot, has had people cringing and cackling, making it the must-see comedy of the year. Today, we'll be joined by Phil Thompson, He'll give us a peek behind the scenes and talk to us about what it was like to play antihero Joe Collins. Hello, Phil. Hey, Tatum, longtime listener of the show. Thanks for having me. Oh, I am flattered. I've been a longtime viewer of yours as well. We are so excited to talk to you about your newest movie that came out just in time for the holiday. Yeah, it's doing pretty well, apparently, which is amazing. It felt like a sink or swim project. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine why. Nothing says comedy more than a funeral. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so first off, the movie was almost entirely shot in the rain. How did you guys film without having an insane water bill? 
And what was it like to be soaking wet most of the time? Well, actually, we rehearsed those scenes dry, of course. But uh, when we actually filmed them, we were under a tarp and we just had a rain machine uh, in front of the tarp that made it look like we were being rained upon the entire time. But uh, we did have a have to look wet. So we had a guy who came in and uh, hosed us down in between takes. But because uh, the production uh, group didn't want us to get wet, uh, didn't want us to get cold, rather, um, they uh, had him hose us down with warm water. And because they didn't want us to to dry out too quick, they used salt water. Now, none of that would have been too weird, but the guy who hosed us down with warm, salty water kept the hose down by his crotch the whole time and just did one of those thumb over the hose things. So uh, it, it was kind of odd. I, I, I don't think I have to spell it out for you, but I kind of felt like I was being urinated on for the entire two days that it took us to shoot that scene. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, it certainly sounds as if your uh, intern put you through your paces. <laughs> yeah, he 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 th put me through my pisses, I guess. Uh, but uh, yeah. <laughs> now, uh, this is kind of a funny spoiler for the movie, for those mm -hmm. of you who haven't watched it. But there is this scene with an older lady. Oh, yes. Martha. Oh, Martha. Yes. <laughs> Yes. yes, Martha Reeds uh, played the woman who absolutely WWE style wrangled you to the ground. Now, what was that fight scene like? Uh, well, this is actually funny. Martha was a professional female wrestler back in the 1960s. She she really was. Um, so when we uh, when we did the fight scene, obviously she was uh, you know older. Um, so we had a cushion. When I push her down, she falls onto a cushion, right? Um, but then uh, in the subsequent uh, motion, I jump up and she grabs my ankles and there was a cushion for me to fall onto. And uh, instead of pushing me onto the cushion, she yanked my ankles and pushed me towards the left. So the scene that you see in the movie where my head bounces off the floor, I actually bounced my head off the floor. And uh, I, I started crying a little bit. Uh, I'm not proud of this, but I started crying a little bit. Once the med tech came and, and wiped my head off with a, a cotton swab for whatever reason, uh, I was sitting in a chair and she came over and she said, wuss. <laughs> that certainly explains the realism in that scene. You could <laughs> see the passion and the fear. <laughs> uh, uh, but, you know, sadly, Martha did pass away uh, last year and uh, uh, she was only 103 years old. So, um this is really sad. Sad, sad, <laughs> sad to see someone go that early. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly was a, a life well lived. <laughs> Sounds like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, Dwayne the Rock Johnson made a cameo appearance uh, as the guy whose home you broke into. 
Now, what was that fight scene like? Well, uh, you know, uh, Dwayne is a very intimidating man physically, but uh, personally, he's really fun and he's easy to get along with. And uh, there, there's a history behind that, actually. Um, I... When I first graduated from high school or college, rather, I went I, I flew out to uh, California. A friend of mine was. Was doing uh, uh, hair and makeup on a movie and she invited me to come out and visit. So I did. And uh, the 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 set itself was kind of boring, but. At the end of the day, she said, hey, some of the cast and crew are going out for drinks. Do you want to come? I said, of course. And uh, so it was just a bunch of uh, day laborers. Uh, but but The Rock came out uh, for drinks with us, which I thought was a real high class move. You know, big movie star um, coming out with the cast and crew to show that he appreciates everything that they do. Uh, but uh, I ended up getting really drunk and running out of money. And at one point, I yelled across the table, hey, too fast, too furious, buy me a drink. And everyone kind of paused, held their breath, looked over at him, and he laughed and bought me a drink. So uh, so for the next three weeks that I was in Hollywood, I actually ended up hanging out with The Rock quite a bit. Uh, and we got to be really good friends. And... Uh, so when this movie was coming together, I got a call from my agent and he said, hey, uh, The Rock wants to be in your movie. And I was like, cool. Now, I'm a stand-up comedian by trade. So I had been making fun of The Rock in my stand-up act for like three years since I met him. But it was all good, good-natured fun. I, you know, I, I, you know, I was just ribbing. Um, so, uh when he showed up in uh, New York, well, no, we filmed in Philadelphia, but we wanted it to look like New York. Um, I met him at the airport and he came out and he gave me a big hug and he was like, I am going to love throwing you down a flight of stairs. <laughs> <laughs> now, is that what made you want to take this role? <laughs> Um, uh, like I said before, I, I, I'm a stand-up comedian by trade and my comedy is kind of dark. Um, so when I was looking at a script like this, um, I tried to, I tried to find a dichotomy where I was like, how can I play this somewhere between Mr. Bean and Adam Sandler in Punch Drunk Love? You know, like I wanted to do some goofy physical comedy, which was definitely written into the script, but I wanted to be able to play like a little bit darker character as well, but with still humanizing and, and, uh, and comedic. So, uh, so yeah, uh, I just, I just went for it. You know, um, I haven't, I'm not well known for my acting. I've been in four films, uh, three of them flopped. Uh, and this one uh, really just relies on, how much uh, I can do to, uh, you know, promote it now. And so thank you for having me. That's <laughs> absolutely my pleasure. And thank you again for joining us today, Phil. It, it's been a pleasure having you. 
And for those of you who haven't seen it, at least it's not raining is playing in theaters now. If you want a good laugh, be sure to go and see it. Next up, we have Sarah Blair, an artist and activist. She's spoken up about the fact that even with the substantial reduction in crime, our system still targets minority groups and underserved communities. Though you may not know her name, you may know her YouTube personality, Lady4Lib, or the trending hashtag, hashtag AllLegalAlways, created to assert that all people should be treated equally. This was met with heavy backlash by citizens and lawmakers who believe that it undermines all of the work that's been done to acknowledge any disparities. There also haven't been many studies that are able to corroborate Sarah's statements. This all began to shift when Sarah Blaine met with the president, who worked with her to strengthen the pre-existing projects that were put into place to address these problems. Sarah's dedicated work to bridging these gaps all came from this one poem. This was the poem that the president saw, and he knew he needed to speak with her. I thought today, instead of a bank heist, maybe I'd facilitate a good old-fashioned prison break. I'd be good at it. Even without the reckoning, I can pretty much act without rebuke, so I figure my potential as unassuming white girl is double today. Might as well unlock the cells and see what happens, unlock the borders and see how we grow. Today, we did not facilitate a good old-fashioned prison break. Marcus made a good point, that today a prison break is illegal, but tomorrow it's not. So we decided to take other people's pizza at Papa John's instead and dream collectively of fucking shit up tomorrow. So today we're going to speak with Sarah Blair about her poem and the projects the president has placed her in charge of. Hey, Sarah, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you. Thank you, Tatum. Excited that I'm able to speak with you today. Well, we're excited to hear from you. The poem that you wrote went viral, and it was the one to spark your coalition with the president's initiatives. What brought you to write the poem? Well, I had been working on the ground with a lot of different communities um, in the past couple of years, immigrant communities, communities where incarceration uh, is really high. So communities of color, especially, and looking at a lot of the studies that were coming forward about inequality in those places, I wasn't seeing the reality on the ground really reflected in those studies. Um, and I really wanted to provide a voice for the voiceless and speak for the people who I was working with. And so I, I wanted to generate something that that spoke with other people and clearly that that poem i'm humbled to say did that now once you spoke with the president there was a big shift in focusing your energy from fighting governmental policies to strengthening the one set in place what brought what brought this uh shift about that's a great question um you know, I, I saw how widespread and and active and detailed a lot of these governmental initiatives and policies really were. Uh, I had the opportunity to take a look at them. And, and I realized that my initial thinking when I was more on the ground was wrong, that these policies weren't passive strategies. They weren't put into place to coerce communities or 
hand them, you know, breadcrumbs of help or aid. These these were really important big policies that were far reaching and there was a lot happening behind the scenes that a lot of people don't realize. And so I feel very confident in, in working to strengthen these policies to help more people. Can you tell us some of the projects that you're working with now? Yes, absolutely. I'm very excited that we're creating a new branch under the Reclaim Department to offer more jobs and enhance local employment opportunities to underserved communities, particularly uh, communities that face high levels of incarceration. We're restructuring prison systems so that they work better to serve people who are involved in the system. And of course, I think this is my favorite of our initiatives, but we're increasing community-based dialogue. Uh, so we're really getting feedback from people about how policing tactics uh, impact their own lives. And, you know, I'm always a big fan of a community discussion. Wow, it sounds like you've got your hands full. Now, the work you're doing with the administration is powerful and moving. Uh, but there has been a shift in allegiance with your followers. Some are calling you a traitor or sellout because you've been working with the government rather than against them. What do you have to say about that? You know, that? I hear that. Uh, I was once in that position where I saw that anyone who was working inside the government um, was compromising the true needs of the people. I was in that position once. But, you know, I think this is a time where we need to rethink that idea. We need to work towards unity. And so I, I wanna make a call to my followers to, to work with the government so that both groups can be driving towards the same goals. You know, I, I understand some people will never be happy unless they have something to scream about, to get out in the streets and protest about. And I'm not saying that those aren't important actions, but I'm hoping that that the people who have been my true supporters can see the the truth in 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 this transition and that there is an opportunity for for unity and to really work together um, with people who are dedicated to change. Well, I acknowledge all of your hard work as well as our listeners today. So we'd like to thank you for everything you've done. Now, we were told that you had a prepared piece describing what it's like to work alongside such bastions of equality reform. Would you sure, like to read sure. that on today's um, show? <laughs> uh, you know, no, um, you know, I can't, I, I can't do this. Um, Sarah? Whoops, it sounds like we lost her. I know when I started radio work, I would forget my name sometimes. I would be so nervous. So that was Sarah Blair again, artist and now reformer working alongside this great nation. Thank you for joining us, Sarah. All right, here's I'm Taking Back My DVDs. Reckoning Day is coming. I'm taking back my DVDs. She left me in the nighttime. She snuck off on a breeze. She ran off with the toothpaste, and she stole my DVDs. Look, I get why she left me. I'm difficult to please. And dump me if you gotta, but please leave my DVDs. I got Fight Club, Matrix, reckon it was meant to be. 
I got criterion fear and loathing, criterion registrar. I got a razor head, but you need the European scanner to read it. She stole my DVDs. She stole my DVDs. You stole my DVDs. You stole my DVDs. Look, I know I ain't an angel. I know I sin with ease. And I know reckoning day is coming. And I want my DVDs. I'll find out where you're hiding them and fly across the trees and drop from eaves on silent toes to take my DVDs. I don't mean to frighten you, but mind your Q's and P's. Of course, you didn't break my heart. You just took my DVDs. Since you took eternal sunshine, I've been struck with a disease. The symptoms are psychotic, and the cure is my DVDs. Give me my DVDs back. Give me back my DVDs. I'm taking my DVDs back. I'm taking back my DVDs. My plan is fucking perfect. Dotted I's and crossed T's. Reckoning day is coming. I'm taking back my DVDs. Reckoning day is coming. I'm taking back my DVDs. Thank you. That was I'm Taking Back My DVDs by Efren England. This poem was read at the 49th Annual Reckoning Commencement Ceremony in Chicago last year. Sadly, Efren passed away during last year's Reckoning Day as he was mistakenly shot and killed as an intruder in his former partner's home. Efren was an avid supporter of Reckoning Day, hosting many of his performances as fundraisers for charities that help support reclaim workers and other organizations to better our nation. For decades, we were inspired by his unrelenting determination and entrepreneurial spirit as he led the crusade to single-handedly keep Reclaim and similar projects alive. His off-the-cuff humor and wit has been deeply missed. We'd like to take a moment to celebrate the life and contributions to the society of Ephraim. As we wrap up our show, we have a special for all of you listeners out there. Today, we're giving away some awesome prizes, like tickets to concerts and movies from some of the artists that you've listened to today. Swag from our collective treasure. Jeremiah, do not listen to the lies. We will not be silenced. The reckoning disproportionately kills our black brothers and sisters and maintains control over our increasingly impoverished citizens. Reclaim was built on the backs of overworked and underpaid individuals in black and Hispanic communities. The United Nations has passed resolutions declaring the United States reckoning as a mass violation of human rights and opposes the barbaric nature of this so-called holiday. You support and revel in the work of Efren England, but he's the worst of them all. Not only did his charity events fund the continued subjugation of people through the reclaimed labor force, but... No! No! We will not be silent! Pardon that brief interruption. We're going to cut to commercial for a moment, but don't go anywhere. We're going to tell you all about how you can win these fabulous prizes coming up on The Surge with me, Tatum Mott. That's our show. Thank you for listening to another episode of Stories from Other Timelines. Thank you to our voice actors today. Our host, Tatum Mott, was played by Tara Bouchard, and the unnamed protester at the end of the episode was played by Josh Dway. Today was a special episode as all of the content was created by the voice actors who played their own characters. 
Original music by Violet Bite was created from Billy Gray. The music for Houston Overstreet was created by Fox O'Connor. Poetry for Sarah Blair was created by Kat Buxton. Poetry for Efren England was created and read by Krista Rollins. The movie Reckon It Was Meant to Be was imagined by Stephen Barton, who played the writer Louis Enzo. The movie At Least It's Not Raining was imagined by Nate Bradford, who played the actor Phil Thompson. Renaissance was created and played by Portland, Maine drag queen Chartreuse Money. This episode was otherwise written and produced by Ali York. If you enjoyed today's episode, subscribe now so you can catch all the upcoming stories from beyond the wormhole. This project has zero funding and we want to keep it ad-free, so please consider donating to help us continue bringing you creative content. If you can't donate, then give us a share. Thank you for listening. I'm Allie York, reminding all of our universe jumpers out there to stay curious.